All right, welcome back to the podcast series Machine Learning and AI Applications. This is your host Raghu Banda, Rakhe Banda. As promised in the past, we will be ending season 3 with a concept around IoT and how IoT data services or IoT data infrastructure helps in the context of AI. With that we kind of get a complete closure to this topic and this would be a fitting season finale for season 3 so in this context i have invited two guests from a partner company from an sap partner company robert payne and george eastburn we get into this topic of uh, the evolution of iot and some of these protocols and the iot data infrastructure in the context of ai So there are a lot of things that we discuss so sit back relax and enjoy the conversation as always you will find more information at the end of the podcast All right uh, welcome back today i have an interesting conversation with uh, two of our guests from a partner company from SAP EMQX So I have, um, and I'm here uh, again. Uh, your host Raghu Banda, uh, podcast uh, machine learning and AI applications. And today I have Robert Payne and uh, Josh Eastburn. So Robert, um, can you give a brief introduction uh, from your point of view? Yeah, of course, Raghu. First, first and foremost, uh, you know, thank you for having us on the podcast and uh, talk about kind of IoT and. Uh, we're going to delve into the conversation but a little bit more on my background uh, my name is Robert Payne i am a senior account manager here at EMQX uh in a previous life i had worked in the software industry on the simulation side and uh, i have a little bit of engineering background as well uh graduated with a, a civil engineering degree so kind of the best of both worlds i can uh, peel the onion a little bit on both ends but uh today from this perspective uh we're going to talk a little bit about iot and I, i'm really looking forward to the conversation Thank you Robert. Over to you Josh. Can you also provide a brief introduction with your background? Sure. So my name is Josh Eastburn. I'm Director of Technical Marketing with EMQ. And uh I come from industrial automation and industrial IoT. Uh which yeah, if you spend any time looking at the projections for IoT, you know, that's that's where a lot of the action is going to be happening. So um it made sense to be working with EMQ really in the heart of, of the whole IoT industry. Great uh, Josh and great uh, Robert. It's really wonderful to have you both on the podcast uh, who are working on this uh, interesting um, domain of IoT in the context of AI. So like hi uh, how I do my uh, mandatory uh, teaser question to get started in, before getting started into the conversation so that we can ease into that. uh i'm again coming back to you robert uh, is there an experience a personal experience or a professional experience that you would like to share about how machine learning or ai or iot has affected you and like in the past things were different and how this is helping you get better it can be a personal or a professional experience that's that's a great question so I think I'm going to take a personal experience on this one. Uh although we're talking about IoT today, uh another passion of mine I like to consider myself a student of the financial markets. 
Uh, it's something that I have a passion with, and it's something that I've been learning about over the past, I'd say about five to six years or so. And uh, something from a machine learning side that has helped me is something called predictive analytics on uh, statistical arbitrage. And I don't want to bore your listeners too much. Uh, they're here for the IoT context, but at the same time, uh, these arbitrages, as we would call them, is bits and pieces in the market where we think something is overpriced or underpriced, uh, depending on who's buying, who's selling, and the relationship of those, those prices. That's machine learning, right? Uh, back in the 90s and the 2000s, these things weren't available to traders, especially retail traders such as myself. Uh, and so because of that, you would say institutions had a larger edge, but now these things are readily available uh, through the kind of democratization of uh, machine learning. So uh, because of that, it makes me a, a better trader and, and lets me delve into the markets uh, that much more fully. So I'll get get off my soapbox on that one, but it's had a, a vast effect uh, from, from a awesome. personal standpoint. Sure, that's a, that's a great example, Robert. I think when you mentioned, I think in the 90s and uh, before, I think we, we the individual consumers never had this uh, um, handle about this. Only the big corporations were having a handle about this, but with machine learning and all now, you could definitely know a lot about that. Yeah, Coming back absolutely. to you, uh, Josh, um, I'm, I'm also putting you this question. Either you can answer the question yeah. in, this, in this way, meaning, any machine learning or AI or IoT experience in your personal or professional life? Or maybe I'm also asking mm -hmm. you if you want to put it in a different way, what is that one particular thing that intrigues your mind, maybe in the context of AI or machine learning or IoT? You can, mm -hmm. you can pick up, choose to answer in any of these. Okay. Yeah, actually, while Robert was talking, I was thinking about sort of uh, my personal examples, and then also how that has tied in with some of the work that we're doing with our customers. And I think it's really interesting that uh, maybe personal safety and security has been one of the biggest drivers so far for at least consumer IoT, right? You think about your uh, your home automation and security system, right? That is can all be integrated now. And that's something that that's maybe the first way that many people have been exposed to IoT outside of what they already think of as part of their normal, uh, you know, electronics ecosystem, right? Like, you know, their mobile phone or their smartwatch. Obviously, that's IoT also, right? But where people are, are expanding their tech adoption is kind of in that space of like, oh, I, I need to take care of myself and my family. Uh, you know, and then uh, your health, right? That kind of fits in with that same thinking. I have a smart ring that tracks my sleep and it tracks my exercise and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then even with the customers that we're working with, uh, we see people are adopting IoT when, you know, they are concerned about their personal safety, their worker safety, the safety of their business. Like that's the kind of value that people are trying to get out of it. Um, for example, uh, we're working with a company called uh, Damon Motorcycles. And it was started by a guy who had had, um, you know, a really bad wreck on his motorcycle. Motorcycle enthusiast, right? But had, you know, had this uh, really bad experience that, you know, almost ended his life and decided that he would create a motorcycle that took care of its rider, right? So uh, he, he's building in, you know, machine learning into the vehicle, mm -hmm. right? To do things like object tracking, to provide uh, feedback to the rider so that they can be more responsive to dangers around them. Um, and, and yeah, so, you know, there's, there's this um, 
I guess there's this common thread of people wanting to use technology uh, not just to make their lives more convenient, right? We we understand that, but we're also hoping to keep ourselves, yeah, safer and healthier, extend our extend our lives, avoid danger. And I think I think that's really interesting um, because it it uh, maybe we're relying on it more. We we feel comfortable relying on machines more than we have in the past. So that's an interesting trend. Amazing. I think, uh, yes, I definitely agree with you uh, because of this personal safety and home automation. Uh, this has become one of the key topics here. And currently we see a lot of progress in that sector currently. And I know a lot more is uh, uh, coming in. <laughs> so we, there's a lot mm -hmm. more um, mm -hmm. ahead of us. Yeah. So let us maybe uh, take a quick break, come back and continue our conversation or get into the meat of our conversation. All right, uh, welcome back. So let us now get into the topic of our today's conversation about the IoT, IoT data infrastructure in the context of AI. Before even going there, maybe uh, coming to you, uh, Josh, for the mm -hmm. audience, um, maybe let's briefly talk about IoT and the evolution of IoT so that we provide some context mm -hmm. where we are coming in from. Sure. So... Uh, okay, so this will this will definitely be through the EMQ lens, right? And we'll get into that a little bit. But uh, typically, when we think about IoT, uh, I would say we think about the hardware side, right? So how are we adding connectivity and processing to sensors, equipment, consumer devices, right? How is all of that becoming smarter and more connected? That's the part of IoT that before there was really IoT, we called that ubiquitous computing, right? So computing everywhere. Right. And that's always changing, right? There are so many uh, now wireless connectivity standards like ZigBee or LoRa, 5G, everybody's familiar with, um, you know, uh, Bluetooth, low energy for your, your wearables networks and, you know, larger scale stuff like NB-IoT. But, you know, that, that continues to evolve and will probably always be, you know, a mishmash of different standards depending on what your particular application is, right? How you move data from one device, you know, to another device or into another system. Um, and of course, we keep coming up um, with more ways of putting intelligence into a device, right? But from the application layer side, uh, there's also this evolution that's been happening, right? Where, you know, we need ways to move the data from the devices into systems, right? Back mm -hmm. in the 90s, uh, IBM co-developed MQTT, the um, MQ telemetry transport at the time is what that was called. And now we just call it MQTT. But over the over that period of time, uh, it's become the dominant protocol for IoT, thanks to it being open source, really easy to implement and use. And, you know, it's because it's uh, found a lot of support from the open source foundations like Oasis and Eclipse. Um, so you can find it now in all of the major uh, cloud platforms. And it, over that course of time, it's also gone through the, its own evolutions of, of its specification, right? So MQTT 5 is the, the latest flavor of MQTT. That said, right, um, there are still plenty of IoT apps that are built mm -hmm. on traditional HTTP, right? 
Uh, and we're finding that there's a lot of education that still needs to happen. So, you know, that's kind of my focus as the marketing guy, right? Quote unquote, um, especially though in the industrial sector where, uh, you know, projections globally put IoT at something like 30 billion connections by the end of the decade with the industrial sector making up a, a huge percentage of that. But but the, 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 we still have a gap. We still have a chasm to cross there in terms of, understanding about the technologies that are available. And like I said, with our focus being at the application layer, helping people understand uh, what MQTT was created for, what it has to do with IoT and how it can help them to basically achieve that level of scale. Because the people that we talk to, we talk to them because they're still struggling to figure out how they're gonna get to the, the scale that they need to achieve. Beautiful. Thank you, George, for that uh, detailed explanation, taking us back into the, uh, giving a historical background from 90s uh, from IBM as well. Uh, so taking it further down, uh, now trying to understand the role of IoT in the context of AI. We know whenever we talk about AI, predominantly, I think when there is a lot of data involved, whether it is being collected, whichever, uh, kind of ways. And in the context of IoT, like you mentioned, there are a lot of devices, a lot of sensors. So obviously this question comes up. What is the role of IoT in the context of AI? So mm -hmm. if you could uh, highlight a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So AI is, is kind of the holy grail of enterprise digital transformation, isn't it? We have this idea that, okay, we're going to get all this data and then AI is going to turn it into something useful for us but we still have this fundamental problem of how do we get all the data, right? And that's really what we're working on when we, when we talk about IoT. And it really depends on which sector you're in, what kind of you know, size organization you're working in. Uh, in some places, the concept of having you know, a large scale messaging bus uh, is established. In other industries, that's still a very new concept. Mm -hmm. um, even where it is established though, uh, that can actually work against our progress to achieve that holy grail because the old architectures, you know, that were designed for in, an enterprise messaging bus may not actually be able to scale up as cost efficiently as uh, users want. Right. Um, and, and if that's the case, if you, if you're running into a bottleneck there now, then maybe your AI doesn't have the volume or the quality of data that you really need in order to get that big picture view on your organization or to be able to make useful predictions or take timely actions. So IoT is fundamentally distributed compute, right? We say IoT, but that's, you know, back to the, that, old, that old term, ubiquitous computing, right? That's, it's the same concept, right? So we, what happens if we spread all the smarts around so that we can gather data from everything, not just lots of things, right? Or not just the most important things, but you know, literally everything that we can gather data from, what happens to our organization then? And back to your question about AI, what can then the software do when we have modeled up all of that data, when we've trained the software to know how to work with it and then give us insights or take actions more quickly, more reliably than we could if we were relying on people. So um, IoT in the context of AI is really about how do we get more data? How do we get it more efficiently? How can we um, more easily build and train models that smoothly turn that data into insight and action? 
Beautiful. I think I like the way you put it, uh, uh, Josh, starting with the ubiquitous computing to the distributed computing and how uh, IoT is kind of defines this process and how you kind of get the data so that when there is a lot of data coming in, how do you distribute this data so that it, uh, how do you compute this distributed data? That is where I think all this is coming in from and how AI can definitely leverage all this and provide beautiful predictions. So I know we are getting into this, so maybe I would want to bring in Robert as well into this conversation uh, with uh, maybe Robert, can you provide us um, a quick overview of what kind of industries can benefit from IoT and what is the enterprise uh, enterprise play here? I know because this is where enterprises have a big role to play. So maybe if you can provide some thoughts around that. Yeah, of course. Um, this is a really good question. So if I kind of take a step back here, I would say the 30,000 foot more broad answer, and I'm not sidestepping it, we'll get into the details here. Is really any organization that really wants to start leaning into digital transformation can benefit. Um, but some may lean on the technology in different ways, depending on what their goals are. And, uh, and really how IoT disrupts the so-called status quo, uh, which could be their current environment, right? A lot of these organizations maybe don't want to change from, from where they are. We would say the more pervasive ones uh, you know, could utilize this. Uh, but I'll dig into that a little more shortly. I'd Say on a side note, this is an interesting topic because previously these buzzwords like IoT, big data, AI, uh, were generally thought to only really touch key niche markets, right? Almost the most tech-driven of what I would call planet Palo Alto, as I'd like to say, uh, really only cared about these things. Now, more than ever, really, we're seeing more of a, a democratization of these technologies, specifically in the IoT markets uh, that we would consider traditionally not great fits. Uh, an example of this would be agriculture. Uh, thought of as a very old school industry, they now utilize IoT for smart growth stations that monitor water consumption in crops. Uh, another example would be on the energy side, uh, using connected devices to study uh, consumption patterns from source and business levels. So these are great developments for the simple fact that traditional industries, if they're starting to adopt this technology, then you know that both the value and benefit exists there to make the investment worthwhile. But with that being said, from our data and customer conversations, we're seeing a, a large number of organizations in manufacturing, transportation, and telecommunications really start to dive into IoT, and specifically the IOV on the automotive side. So if you slice it down even further, this includes anything from EV vehicles to autonomous, to even something called V2X, which I don't know if your listeners are familiar with, but it's a vehicle to everything, which mm -hmm. I think is pretty cool. Cars talking to sensors on the road, those sensors are talking to traffic lights, other vehicles, et cetera, right? We're building that fully connected environment that can provide safety benefits for travelers beyond the means of what we have right now. And from that baseline, Josh took a little bit of my thunder here, but uh, what you have for your enterprise play is a more connected environment. What I mean by that is the projections of where connected devices are gonna be in the future, right? Mm -hmm. uh, right now we're sitting anywhere from 20 to 22 billion connected devices globally. Uh, and those numbers differ depending on, on the source, but uh, I've seen some projections that even in 2025, those numbers are gonna go up to 35 billion. So you're seeing an exponential increase in these things that, that are happening on the connected side. So as previously stated, 
we're living in a more connected world, not less. And I don't think you or your listeners or any of us on the call probably see a trend going in the other way, right? We're just becoming in a more connected environment. Um, and these goals, they're not just from a monetary or fiscal side, but in many cases are safety critical or needed infrastructure for us to, to do basic tasks. So as I'm laying this out, it sounds like it's a large scale. And in many cases it is, right? Uh, we're taking millions of connections at a, a local level and then billions globally, right? And mm -hmm. messaging is how they communicate, right? This plumbing, as Josh mentioned before, in most cases, if not you know, most of the time, is the MQTT protocol. Uh, this is where EMQX comes into play, which I know we'll discuss a little bit later in our conversation, but the synopsis is, if the plumbing isn't reliable, then the components start to fail in comparison. AI, IoT, almost anything that digests data from anything from a sensor or a device side is only as good as the telemetry infrastructure around it, which makes this really a high priority, not just for us on the call, but for anybody involved in it. Beautiful. I think I like the way you've explained the concept or the topics around the different industries that will benefit from IoT and how we as people are also seeing the benefits in the real world and how all this is, again, based out of that MQTT protocol, which uh, many of the old listeners or many of the old uh, generation or the baby boomers or even the Gen X, Gen Y, they might be aware of. So which is which is good. I think we are trying to bring in all these things together. Uh, before we go into the details of our uh, the topic about discussing about the components involved in the IoT architecture and a bit more on the open source IoT platforms, maybe we'll take a quick break and come back. Welcome back. So we briefly talked about the evolution of IoT and the role of IoT in the context of AI. We also discussed about briefly on the different industries that can benefit from IoT and the enterprise play. Now, coming to you, Josh, could you explain about maybe the components that are involved in the IoT architecture? And maybe you can be a bit more specific about also going to this open source IoT platforms as well, if you want to talk about that. Yeah, definitely. And, and real quickly, I wanted to respond to uh, Robert's uh, excellent uh, response before. I was thinking during the break um, about other sort of sectors that I've crossed with where IoT has been gaining traction. And I was thinking within, certainly this is an enterprise play, but uh, asset tracking um, has become a huge area of demand um, and, you know, taking it one step bigger from that, you know, uh, from that specific application, you know, there's this idea of like the circular economy, right, or circular manufacturing that's developing where, you know, hey, um, we can save a lot of money if we know where our stuff is in the world, how we can reclaim the materials from it and then turn that into a new product, right? That's, that's like really putting it into a nutshell. Um, you know, there are so many drivers uh, pushing companies to uh, consider how they manage their product lifecycle more closely. And so IoT is really crossing with that a lot. So I just thought that was probably worth mentioning because um, I think that's going to continue to be a big area. It's sort of low-hanging fruit, right? Where it's like, oh, we can put sensors on stuff and we can you know, we can track it through its lifecycle. Um, but it's, it's going to get 
um, a lot bigger than that. So yeah, I just that's, that's, that's my that's, two cents on that. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that, that's a great point. It kind of goes into when we first talked about how big data and, uh, and AI has kind of helped you in, in a personal sense. You know, I, I talked about the markets, but you're talking from, from the more consumer side. And yeah, that, that's a great point. Uh, I, I think the audience definitely appreciate that and something, something noteworthy. So my apologies, go ahead, onwards. No, yeah, absolutely. No, there are market great. drivers for that behavior at the enterprise level. Yes, that also affects consumers, right? So that's part of the reason why we want to have smart devices out there is because as, as an enterprise, we can learn as much about them, you know, as much as they can also serve the consumer. So that's, that's a pretty neat trend that's happening. But as far as how to build IoT or what does an IoT architecture look like, right now, um, that heavily depends on protocols that you're using, right? So the protocol, you know, meaning what determines, you know, what data can be moved where, right? How does that communication happen, right? Some protocols are only for sensor or device networks. Um, some of them rely on point-to-point -point connections versus, you know, more distributed architectures or like a published subscribe architecture, like what MQTT uses. But the fundamental actions that you need to complete are connection, movement, processing, analysis, right? How do we get the data? How do we transport that data efficiently? How do we transform it into something useful? And then how do we learn from it or take actions based on it? Mm -hmm. So EMQ, what we do is provide a portfolio of open and open source tools to help with each of those parts, whether that's in the edge or uh, in the cloud, or even across multiple cloud environments, as may be the case. Um, and remember here, we're really focusing on the application layer. So, but let's just say you start with connectivity, right? Questions there are, how do we ingest or bridge or translate protocols mm -hmm. uh, from devices or from equipment to acquire raw data? Um, how do we, uh, again, that's going to depend on, you know, what's the physical makeup of your network. We're kind of setting that aside for, for this conversation. However it's built, you've got to get access to that data, right? Mm -hmm. And industrial is particularly problematic for this. Um, yeah, because it, the OT just kind of tends to be a generation behind where some of the problems um, that they're dealing with, you know, the IT world has already solved. Um, but there are great tools that are coming out to tackle that problem of taking data and then you know turning it into event-based messages that fit into an IoT ecosystem, mm -hmm. um, whether that's MQTT or some other IoT-friendly protocol that helps to move the data and distribute it efficiently. So once you've solved that problem, um, you've got uh, well, really the next part and kind of throughout the IoT architecture, as you know, this is likely going to be distributed, um, is the, the processing step, right? So take, taking the raw data and then thinking about how to clean it up, how to format it, how to filter it, how to discard parts maybe that you know, aren't, uh, aren't good quality or aren't going to be used, right? Also that it comes through uh, both locally and let's say globally in a way that's going to be consumable, that's going to be usable by the rest of the ecosystem, right? By the rest of the organization. And the closer you can do that to the edge, uh, the more value you can get out of it the more money you'll save in mm -hmm. you know, terms of like the total cost of ownership of the system and also the easier it is to secure it. So those are still you know, big problems that we're trying to uh, tackle in IoT. And you know, these are important components for, uh, for, for, I'd say, lowering the barrier to entry, right? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and then, but once you have all the data in, you know, clean data streams, you can think about how to work with those streams, right? How do you store them? How do you combine them? How do you discover patterns? How do you do, how do you uh, respond to what you discover, right? So bi-directional communication, data coming in from the field, we're making decisions about it. Maybe we're sending commands back out or across the organization um, so that so that the organization can learn from every other part. That's really the ideal. Is anybody doing that yet? You know, the, mm -hmm. like I said, the barrier to entry is still high for most right. people, uh, particularly there's an education gap that we need to overcome. So that's really our work is we're putting tools out there, tools that support open ecosystems that help organizations to do each of those parts. Um, we're even introducing a native streaming database under a BSD license that helps to integrate all of those functions for data streams, right? Rather than working with sort of traditional batch data in relational databases, but actually being able to take data streams as your data primitive and be mm -hmm. able to work on them continuously to, you know, uh, essentially create continuous queries, right? Rather than batch queries um, so that you're continuously generating information with data that's coming in in real time. You're so those correct. are kind of the, I'd say, like the big buckets that we right. would put right. in, yeah. Beautiful, I think you have put in the perspective about the different components that are involved, about the IIT architecture and also the different open society platforms. I know you also briefly touched upon the edge computing aspect. Do you want to elaborate a bit more on that and how enterprises can benefit from edge computing so that before we get into the details of the data part in the IIT? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I mentioned, our portfolio, stretches from data acquisition, you know, to uh, cloud distribution and analytics. Um, and the reason that is, uh, it because, you know, that maybe the traditional thinking on IoT is to say, okay, let's just build a bigger pipeline, right? Like mm -hmm. we have this enterprise messaging bus, let's make a bigger one and let's send it all right into the cloud. Um, but there are all kinds of problems that that creates for scalability and for cost of ownership, right? Uh, piping raw data from the edge to the cloud is going to be expensive, mm -hmm. particularly um, in, you know, highly distributed applications like you encounter in the industrial sector, right? You have, uh, you know, oil wells, pump jacks sitting in the field and, you know, you're maybe operating that over a licensed radio connection or, you know, in other cases you have, but, you know, some kind of metered connection, right? A 5G connection or something like that. And you're paying for every right. bit of data that you send over. So uh, purely from a financial perspective, the more uh, processing you can do at the edge, right? The more of the compute you can move from your network core or from the, you know, your, um, your uh, high resource compute centers out to the edge, the more money you save just in data transmission, right? Mm -hmm. But then there are, you know, uh, sort of stacking costs that come with that, right? When you bring in raw data, um, well, somewhere that needs to get turned into something that's usable, right? That's very good chance that that data is not usable in its, in its raw format. It's just a number, right? It, it may lack any kind of, you know, metadata, uh, that would tell you what does that number represent, right? Are these engineering units, you know, mm -hmm. uh, are, are these, uh, you know, this number doesn't represent gallons of a fluid, does it represent the speed of a, a motor, right? Well, you need to know those things before you can start to uh, draw conclusions about, you know, what that data represents or what is the state of your system, okay? So again, doing that in the cloud means you're using your expensive cloud compute resources 
-hmm. you're relying on them more. So that's going to be more expensive, right? Uh, if you can shift that, all of that processing to the edge, do that locally, then you save yourself a bunch of money there also. And that data also becomes available for use locally. Okay. So, uh, you know, there are problems that come into play when you think about, you know, moving a whole bunch of data into the cloud, right? Security is, you know, number one, right? People are still concerned about how do we, you know, build this architecture and, um, and not be leaking data all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, what if we secure that data at the edge, right? Um, yes, that makes sense. Okay, so once we have secure data that's also clean at the edge, um, you know, what else could we do with that locally? What could we be learning locally um, about how a plant operates, for example, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be that's going to be useful there. And then, so basically, you've you've uh, extended the life or the value of that data, you know, across the entire architecture rather than rather than using the cloud or relying on the cloud solely as the source of it's kind of a sort of like value production, right? Turning the raw data into something valuable and then distributing it through the organization, you can create value at the source of data and then spread that as the data moves through the through your ecosystem, um, the value multiplies. That's, that's kind of like how I like to think about it from a, from a financial perspective. Um, but yeah, like I said, it solves problems all along the way. Um, to reach scale, which is really what we're focused on, right? Um, like I said, how do we get to that? You know, that thirty billion connections. Um, you know, there's there's an efficiency uh, aspect to all of this, right? So so by being efficient at the edge, by by moving some of these functions down to that part of your architecture, um, we solve the problem of scalability, you know, um, and performance and security, but then we're also multiplying the value um, that the data has, increasing interoperability um, as well across the organization. So that's why we're really focused on, on edge when it, when it comes to IoT. Beautiful. You've uh, orchestrated it very well in talking about the edge side of the things when you're talking about IoT. Now I want to kind of get a bit into the data part of IoT. So coming to you, Robert, uh, can we talk about some use cases for the IoT data analytics and how the customers are leveraging this uh, data analytics uh, into IoT? Yeah, certainly. So uh, I, I kind of want to pivot off of, and what Josh said previously about you know, where is the best place for the data to be stored? And it, it is, you know, less expensive to be on the edge. So I think that, that in a good way outlines where the best synergies are between that. I think the best way to maybe mental, mentally kind of build a picture of, of how this works is to kind of give an example, right? So mm -hmm. a good place to start is actually going to be with a customer of ours. I want to give a little of an example of how we can leverage data analytics here and uh, some of the work that they did during COVID. So I think as we all remember, when we first learned about COVID, we knew very little about how it was spread and uh, if it was fatal or if it wasn't, right? Uh, there were a lot of questions, right? Uh, one of the ways to know you weren't infecting someone was to be quarantined until you tested negative, right? In retrospect, it's a reasonable idea. Uh, the nurses, doctors, really any healthcare worker didn't get that luxury when they were treating patients in either a brick or mortar hospital or sometimes the mobile ones that they would set up. Um, so in comes a partner of ours called Slam Tech, uh, which makes a slew of different robotics for multiple applications. Uh, and they honed in on that first point. Uh, 
using their mobile delivery robotic technology and in coordination with our cloud and enterprise platform, uh, SlimTech set up delivery routes inside hospitals, inside Shanghai region in China, uh, which we all know was hit very hard during the peak of COVID, right? Mm -hmm. uh, these intelligent delivery robots were tasked with dropping off food to individuals in the hospitals that were COVID positive. So you contextualize kind of what they're doing here. Uh, we're trying to mitigate any you know, surface touching between what we did or what we didn't know about the virus at the time, right? Um, idealistically, you know, this sounds awesome, right? But it comes with its own challenges. On the human side, ideas not to cross infect anybody that was negative. Um, these devices not only autonomously mapped out the hospitals, but also completely avoided other contact with robots or individuals that were COVID positive. Let's take, take a step back and think about that. So not only are they dodging people, right, but other surfaces as well, right? So that's complex. Let's add one more extra layer of complexity to this as well, uh, which is the constant changing state of the hospital floor. Uh, mobile hospital beds that are being moved around constantly, ordinary medical items that are changing positions from floor to floor. So this environment in itself is constantly pivoting and changing, right? So robots have to be able to keep up with that changing environment. So as you could suspect, this took very precise sensors and a large number of them at that level and a low latency communication to create real-time up to the second data analytics that were fully leveraged with the power of IoT and our messaging brokers. So the speed at which the data was analyzed and then rolled out is a testament to the benefits of IoT and how connected synergies help in these real life situations. I mean, think, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, we didn't know what to expect, right? Uh, they're not only dodging other people, they're dodging, you know, surface area changes and they're dodging other robots in that aspect, which is mind blowing, right? From a technological standpoint. So this is a perfect example of these real life scenarios. So it's not a stretch to say that some of these protocols save people from being sick and in some cases much worse, right? Which in itself is exponentially worthy, right? Um, other data analysts are a little bit more straightforward because I think that's a complex case, uh, but I did want to talk about it because it shows the, the life-changing ways that IoT can really affect anybody. Mm -hmm. This can be, you know, anything from fleet monitoring, as, as Josh mentioned before, and safety notifications in the logistic worlds, to sending your car a firmware update, to mapping out city streets for autonomous environments in a more closed loop, right? Um, although a company's specific goal is going to differ, and that differs from company to company, right? Uh, the possibilities from a data side are infinite when put into that context. So I just want to give a, a contextual view of it's not just you know, zeros and ones, right? There's an actual human aspect of this. And when these real life scenarios kind of play out, it can be the difference between you know, life-changing events for one another. So mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is kind of the pervasiveness of technology and IoT in general and you know, what we back and, and our coordination with this and uh, how we try to roll it out and make it possible. Great. I, I like the example that you took, uh, uh, Robert, because this, is, this was one of those key aspects, uh, I think, uh, during the COVID times, right, like two years back, when the whole world was going up and down, topsy-turvy, uh, there are a lot of applications uh, around IoT, and you guys have, I think, many companies like uh, you guys and all, how you have leveraged the power of IoT in getting the data analytics out and then providing the much needed help and much needing much needed uh, resources. Yeah, so that's a great I, I would, 
Yeah, I would like to, to say to that point, uh, you know, it's interesting, and, and we talked about it previously, but um, I like to say a lot of times that we're kind of heading towards this direction, but some things kind of nudge you that way. Mm -hmm. uh, I think COVID, COVID was definitely one of those things, right? I think from, uh, from a top level sense, remote work, things like that, that are out of the source of IoT, but connected environments were headed, we were headed in that direction, but it took kind of a black swan event to push us a little bit further. And now, as you said, we're there, right? So yeah. it kind of plays into that, that aspect. And definitely it fast-tracked a lot of these things. So, so talking about that further, I think the next immediate question that comes up is about the data processing and the integration aspects of IoT, right? So how or what you can explain a bit more about these different aspects of uh, the data integration into the IoT sure. world, I think sure, that yeah. would be helpful. Yeah, this 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 is a, a a good question. So this kind of goes with the theme that we previously discussed, and uh, you know, Josh had mentioned as well. He kind of gave our stream of where we are in the stack, but uh, I do want to kind of take that broad view, give a visualization to the listeners about where we are in the messaging prospect process, and then we can kind of delve into uh, integration aspects. So we were talking about from an edge computing sense where the data is is gathered and, and generated at, right? Uh, and then transition to, you know, an MQTT broker, which could be on the edge. So for this example, we'll say it happens on the edge. And shameless plug, we work for EMQX. So uh, our, our broker on the edge is called NanoMQ and it's a messaging engine and it sits right on the edge. It's a very lightweight broker uh, that supports bus protocols. So, uh, you know, that is the front part of our, of our kind of stack here, or at least our general uh, kind of explanation of this environment. After that, it takes a trip to our enterprise clusters, which can be cloud-based or on-prem, depending on the customers. And uh, it almost serves as home base for our collective IoT hub, if you would say. Mm -hmm. um, those messages, uh, then at the customer's discretion, right, they can be sent to a database where further analytics can be done or uh, whatever really the client decides, right? If the info is good, they keep it. If it's bad, sometimes they trash it, just depends. Uh, an interesting tidbit I'd add at the end here is the inclusion of our own streaming database called uh, HStreamDB. And uh, I know, you know, we talked about it previously, but HStream is uh, stream native and it efficiently stores and processes real-time an analytics coming from your sensors or devices. This skips a step, right? Uh, and, and it's almost a two for one. And this can be forwarded to any of the usual suspects and database platforms such as MongoDB and Flux, uh, as well as other examples. I don't wanna to get too off topic with the original question, but I thought it was uh, worth mentioning. So with that in mind, uh, the sticky part of this in a lot of cases, and it seems like we're laying an emphasis on in the industrial world here is stage one, mm -hmm. uh, which is the sensor protocol itself. So over the years, companies have siloed themselves to a point where depending on the device or sensor, you are using different protocols. All these industry leaders, including Schneider, Siemens, Mitsubishi, ABB, right? You name it, uh, from the 90s, 2000s, have all implemented their own language in these sectors. So how do we take all these unique languages and spit it out in MQTT? Well, we have the secret sauce for that and it's called Neuron, right? Which sits on the edge. Uh, Neuron is almost like a gateway software, as we would say, uh, and it supports a one-stop ass assets to dozens of industrial protocols and converts them into MQTT protocols. Think of it as a Rosetta Stone, right, for other messaging or other industrial protocols and spits it out in MQTT style. It's really first in its industry from a coordination standpoint. 
allows customers to really utilize what the edge was meant for, which is, as we've said already, cost savings, right? Improved quality, interoperability. And, uh, and, and that's kind of the roots of, of the openness and connectivity. So from that sense, Neuron offers a slew of pluggable modules that can be implemented and make that much easier. So of course, at the end here, uh, it's worth mentioning as well that the resource consumption is ultra low because why wouldn't it be, right? Uh, the idea of the edge is to reduce size and, and keep mm -hmm. the speeds high and to create a more robust environment. So if we're gonna wrap this all up, data processing and integration can be a bit tricky depending on where that is originating from. And um, there are some challenges, right? Uh, but the ability to transcribe protocols and direct those messages into PubSub environment on the edge uh, while possibly working with numerous base message languages to start is a, is a pervasive next step in what we believe uh, can help streamline that in the industrial sector pertaining to IoT and that can stretch to AI and, and other aspects as well. That's, that's great. Thank you uh, for the detailed uh, uh, answer, uh, Robert. I know there's, uh, we've discussed a lot about the IoT architecture, the computing, the edge computing, and also the different aspects of the IoT data analytics, the use cases and the integration and the processing aspects. This is a lot for the audience to digest. So maybe we'll take a quick break, come back and then do our uh, final segment. Welcome back. So into our final segment of this conversation. So we did talk about the evolution of IoT and how the different things are here and how edge computing, we talked about edge computing and we talked about the different things that can be done, the data analytics in the context of IoT. I would like to now get a bit more specific, uh, Josh, uh, coming to you about how mm. EMQS can help enterprises and customers by bridging the gaps when we talk about these end-to-end -end experiences or end-to-end -end business processes. Mm -hmm. Some of these okay. enterprise application firms, uh, they are now, I believe they're focusing, for example, like SAP, they are focusing more on the embedded IoT applications rather than working on the IoT services. So mm -hmm. there is a place to fill in. I believe there is a gap to fill in. Uh, so how, uh, how can uh, companies like EMQX can help in this context for the customers? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we we try to provide an end-to-end -end software stack. And typically people are embedding, you know, components of our software stack into devices or in mobile applications, you know, or within their existing ecosystem to add IoT services, right? Um, and, and our portfolio is designed for that, right? Designed with, you know, a cloud native microservices architecture designed to be run in a container or, you know, across different platforms um, so that you can, like you said, bridge these gaps. And some of them I touched on before, right? We talked about needing to connect to sources of raw data. Um, that's, you know, that's one gap. Right. So we uh, Robert mentioned neuron before designed for industrial sector protocol bridging, um, you know, that's, so that's one gap there where there's a whole, there's a whole class of device, uh, you know, essentially that is, is really difficult um, to 
uh, integrate because it doesn't necessarily provide a REST API. Mm -hmm. um, it may not even, you know, have a Ethernet connection, right? You might be going from, uh, you know, serial uh, to Ethernet to, uh, you know, wireless Ethernet or you know, who, who knows, right? Um, so, but the, the protocol portion, right, the, the software part is the layer that we play in. And mm -hmm. so we do help to convert that, right? Um, distribution can be uh, a gap. Um, if, you're, if your concern is performance, um, actually Robert used a great example before he talked about uh, plumbing, right? Like if you're, if you're installing a backyard spa or something like that, you don't wanna have to be concerned about whether your plumbing is gonna clog all the time, mm -hmm. right? That's gonna significantly uh, detract from your enjoyment. Of that um, of that project, so we provide the plumbing. That's you know that's not going to clog, and that can be a challenge um, because uh, why was I just thinking? Oh, the Eclipse Foundation just released their 2022 Edge and IoT Developer Survey. This is a self-reported survey that they do, and they've been doing this um, maybe for as many as the last ten years, um, and you know, kind of tracking trends in Edge and IoT, and. Uh, we, you know, we've mentioned a few times how MQTT has become a dominant protocol in IoT, but you can, you know, even though that's the case, you can still see that there's, uh, you know, let's say even the majority of um, projects are still using HTTP or, you know, raw TCP IP sockets. Um, so, so there are a lot of people who aren't taking advantage of um, some of the newer options that are available. Um, and then, you know, running, it's, it, they're running into performance issues, right? Because, uh, you know, if you're using uh, HTTP payloads and you've got all of these headers and you've, you know, you've got a protocol that's essentially designed for documents, not designed for bits and bytes, um, you know, then, then maybe you're going to run into performance issues somewhere down the line. And so that becomes a gap that we need mm -hmm. to cross. There, there's a, the bigger picture here. And I don't know if I've talked about this already, but there's there's like a there's a shift that mm -hmm. needs to happen in our understanding of what enterprise architectures look like, right? right. We have something in mind that's probably an evolution of what was developed in the '90s, True. Um, and IoT it can be the next leap, but taking a leap is is difficult. And you know, not everybody we're trying to move fast, right? right. <laughs> so we just try to make that easy for people um, by providing an open software stack that can help to just basically be that infrastructure for you, right? You um, might be working right now with an ecosystem of applications that use point-to-point -point connections, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to expose data to an application, uh, that data or that, um, that device and that application need to have essentially a one-to-one -one connection. Mm -hmm. uh, and that ha might have its own security, or it might use its own particular protocols. And that might be different if that device is connecting to a different application, right? Or if those two applications want to talk to each other. Um, so we're trying to move past that. Uh, and IoT presents an architecture that can help with that, right? Because even with, even with the, you know, the, in the world of enterprise message buses, we still have data silos, right? We still have applications that can only talk to a certain, you know, uh, part of the enterprise and bridging those applications and really, really creating, um, you know, distributed uh, intelligence um, across the entire organization is, is still difficult. So we believe that IoT 
presents an opportunity to overcome some of those you know, data fragmentation problems, as well as performance issues that existing architectures um, have introduced. Um, so again, whether you're working on the edge or whether you're working in the cloud, we try to fill in you know, those gaps with, again, the, the reliable high-performance plumbing that's going to make it so that you can focus on the business value of the system rather than you know, whether the system is going to work reliably or whether it's going to scale up to um, to what to the level that you need, right? The latest uh, version of our uh, open source uh, MQTT broker, which is called EMQX, mm -hmm. um, we've benchmarked that at 100 million concurrent connections mm -hmm. and you know 1 million messages per second. So again, going back to that that you know those projections on IoT growth, right? If we're going to get to 30 billion. Uh, IoT connections globally, right? We meaning, you know, when when these research organizations say that that we're seeing the investment, we're seeing the trend, we're seeing the demand. We just need to figure out as you know, designers, as business operators, as executives, how we're going to make that happen, right. right? That's that's the part that we are trying to help people solve by providing, um, you know, the the plumbing that performs at that level. Great, great. I like I like the analogy you guys have put together. Uh, uh, Josh and Robert, about how IoT services, realistically the plumbing services, I think, uh, which, is, which is the background for this whole uh, digital, digitalization of your corporation of, or leveraging AI. Uh, and so I like the way you put it. I've, and also uh, we had this detailed conversation. So now getting it furthermore for the partners or the customers, do you provide any high level, can you provide any high level guidelines or principles while working on these IoT projects? I know Josh uh, and Robert, both of you talked a lot about this, but maybe I'll start with you, Josh, and, and also any prerequisites to be considered while working on these kind of uh, projects. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm, I'm probably repeating myself here, but I've mentioned this a few times of, um, you know how yeah it's tempting to say well we just need a we just need a bigger pipe right and we need that pipe to be connected to the cloud um, and there's so many other uh, use cases uh, for IoT that that kind of misses and um, the the my recommendation is not just to consider what it is you know that you're trying to deliver but what are some of the architectural options that you have right what are the potential benefits that you can get from uh considering you know more of a distributed architecture um and that said you know uh enterprise still needs to run smoothly and so right. um right we've, we've there are lots of different ways to do this right there are lots of different mqtt brokers out there lots of different open source components you can use um, and so, of course, we have our own philosophy on that also. And if you're working with EMQ, you know, big, the biggest difference between our, our open source or like community edition tools and our enterprise edition tools is that there's this additional layer that makes integration and administration uh, that much easier. Because again, the point is for your plumbing to just work. <laughs> not to, not to be not to be constantly monitoring it and checking it and making right. sure that it's it's operating right. the way you want to. So yeah, if we when we work with enterprise customers, um, we try to be sort of the the all in one um, solution for that particular part of their ecosystem, right? Not just the MQTT broker, um, 
but you know, we provide a suite of um, integrations that are just built in natively, right? We have a native rules engine and other kinds of um, data processing tools so that you don't have to use a suite of applications for your developers to then use to build your your IoT system, right? We try to try to provide that provide that all in one place. Um, so, but that's a decision that you have to make, right? As a designer, um, again, you know, being open, being an open, uh, you know, platform is really important to us. That's a value that we believe in and we've invested in heavily. Um, so we certainly don't want to discourage people from looking, you know, at a multi-vendor approach if that's what they, if that's what they want to do. Um, so those, I would say that those are, let's say maybe not exactly guidelines or principles, but those are trade-offs that need to be considered, right? Uh, you have probably an existing architecture that you're building on. You can evolve that, or you can take a revolutionary approach, right? Might, might feel like that by by looking at more of a distributed um, architecture. You can look at a multi-component, multi-vendor uh, infrastructure. Um, we also provide, like I said, this all-in-one infrastructure um, for moving your data from the edge to the cloud, if that's what you're trying to do. Um, so, you know, that's where, that's, that's why, that's why your listeners get paid the big bucks <laughs> because <laughs> they know how to think through right. th these aspects of design. And what we try to do is just encourage people to, to do that thought exercise. It's easy to say, well, let's just take what we have and make it bigger, but there's, there's a much richer landscape that's at play here. Exactly. I, I I think that's a that's a good point. Uh, I'm going to piggyback on that point there, Josh. Uh, I didn't didn't want to cut you off there because you were on a roll, but um, I'm I'm going to take kind of the other side of this as well. I know Josh talked a little bit about the architecture, and you know you need a bigger pipe. And uh, shout out to our our VP GM of North America, Dylan Kennedy. He's the person that developed the uh, needing more plumbing uh, analogy. So we'll have to give give him credit for that one uh, that we've all shamelessly used on on this uh, on this podcast. But uh, anyways, to to digress off of that, I think the architecture is one thing. Uh, something that I'm hearing a little bit more about, and, and I'll make this point quick, is just even more from a cybersecurity side, right? Uh, when we talk about data implementation and the cloud, uh, we've spoken a lot about the edge, right? And how things mm -hmm. can be done on the edge, but we still have, and we're still seeing it now, a lot of customers that are gun shy of, of going to the cloud and understandably so. Uh, I think it depends on the data, right? But I also think that it's a security base, right? right? I think working with data, if it's passwords for somebody's, you know, account to buy sporting goods, that's not a big deal. But if it's DARPA or national security, or it's something that's, you know, government work, then I think that that's a little bit different. So uh, something worth mentioning with these guidelines and principles is, uh, you know, we ensure our own security of our MQTT connections through TLS, SSL, uh, we support authentication-based, you know, usernames and passwords and such. And I think many of the vendors kind of threw that throughput on that and do the same thing as well. But I kind of want to, you know, shift that kind of edge to think, of course, you know, we're talking about data and we're talking about how big the pipe is from, from data coming between. But there has to be a balance between these two. And there's another side of this. So for every piece of data, as the data gets larger, the security implementations, right, 
get more and more drastic and they have to be exponentially more precise to be able to make sure that that data isn't leaking everywhere. So uh, I think that's, that's kind of another topic. And some of our customers, you know, will fully encrypt and, and kind of go through that specific area as well. But I think it's worth mentioning uh, the other side of, of big architecture and big data is big security, right? Uh, and that, that's something that to nice. a degree we, we do back as well. So now that you brought up the topic of data and uh, security, uh, Robert, before we go to the final question of the key takeaways, maybe I have one last question. Uh, any real-time challenges and experiences that your customers have faced with these IoT projects? And maybe you can talk in the, con in, in the context of how EMQ is helping resolve this. Maybe that will be- Sure. Yeah, so this is good, you know, wrapping up our topics discussion here. It's just kind of putting it in a bow. And, and traditional challenges facing the IoT world are largely dependent on the customers, as I just mentioned, right? Somebody mm -hmm. through DARPA or secret applications is very different than uh, somebody signing up something for a charity. Uh, but, you know, this has something to do with the number of connections, other factors, architecture, other things that are probably a little bit too uh, techy to delve into for this. But uh, I would say what Josh and I are observing is, is a bit twofold. Uh, some of the most common issues that customers come to us with are scalability and interoperability, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning customer XYZ wants to scale maybe 5 million connections, let's say. Uh, but either the current broker crashes at these levels or they're unsure of the computational power needed to run this level of connections, right? Uh, for interoperability, uh, and of course, we touched on this previously, but uh, technological standards in most areas are still fragmented, right? This leads to non-convergence of messages. Uh, industrial, this is a big problem, and uh, it can produce some undesirable results. So uh, in the EMQX world, right, uh, we've done some heavy lifting on our side to you know, make these two concerns as negligible as possible. Uh, for one, we take pride in our source code. Josh mentioned it. Uh, you know, this is kind of our democratization, as you would say, right? Our open source code and our engineering team has take, taken a ton of time to develop it. Um, in those developmental stages, scalability was of the utmost concern because that's the feedback that we were hearing from most of our, our prospective clients or customers. Uh, we've had several white papers that, uh, laying out our, our connection scalability. And as mentioned, uh, you know, we have the ability to leverage 100 million concurrent connections, right? which in our experience is market leading. Um, now, other piece of that info uh, that lays credentials is the association that we have with the Oasis Open Foundation. And I don't know if all of your listeners are aware, so I'll give a, a quick synopsis. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Oasis is almost a think tank of MQTT of sorts, right? Uh, these people eat, drink, sleep, drive, breathe MQTT, right? It's what they think about all day. Um, right. Oasis has two found foundational sponsors, as they would call it, right? One is IBM, who invented the protocol in the late 90s, right? And the other is us, EMQ, right? Which lends validity to our code and the processes that we have in place. Uh, so with that company plug behind us, uh, scalability certainly remains a top obstacle for clients moving forward. Um, on the operability side, you know, we've covered this already, but Neuron allows for different industrial protocols to be translated into MQTT, uh, which migrates a huge bottleneck. Uh, still, the nature of open messaging protocol is, is just that, right? We want to keep the environment open. True. So in our latest uh, releases in EMQ 5.0, uh, we have something called bidirectional data flow, uh, which is both data reporting and down, downward message support uh, for our rules processes. So 
on top of that, we offer our open source that can be custom configured to a multitude of these plugins, which uh, just mitigates that gap a little bit as well. So I guess the last point that I would make here is in a real-time sense, and I'll kind of try to differentiate uh, because we're talking about machine learning and data, and this is a complexities when it comes to the tech side. Um, deployment can be a challenge uh, and to stitch all of these inner workings together. But on the other end, I usually find that it's the willingness of the customer to dip their toe into the IoT world as well to solve this. And that's not calling customers out, but this is a, a natural cadence, right? Somebody is delving into that technological world. They don't know exactly what they're getting into. They know that it's something that they need to get into, right? And have a, an old boss that used to have a saying that uh, any new tech is almost like a football coach, right? right. When, you coach a, when you coach, you get one player to buy into what you're doing, right? Then maybe you get a second, maybe a third, right? And it's results-based, right? If you start winning games, then everyone is on board. Awesome. And I would say, you know, the, the same holds true in, in AI, IoT, and the data space, right? Sometimes, in my experiences at least, it takes the willingness to adjust change. And even then, it usually starts slow. But as one engineer realizes the potential, a second one will as well. And before it's too long, you have a group of adopters because they see the value, right? So in many senses, at least in my opinion, I think the human side is almost as important as the technological side. Uh, and that's especially in the connection realm. So uh, kind of a synopsis, you know, we have two technical things, but I think we have one interpersonal human thing as well as you know, we're not always adapted change, right? But of course, scalability and interoperability are things that, you know, customers have issues with that we've kind of taken on head on. So a combination of these two, and, uh, and we're kind of seeing that deployment and, uh, and movement from the IoT side. Amazing, I think uh, it's a great conversation that we are having here, um, uh, Robert and Josh, and I learned a lot in the process about how IoT can affect uh, in the context of data and how it overall, it impacts AI uh, and how it can impact the enterprises. Uh, so I know uh, we could have, uh, we, we are already, there is no time limit. There, there is no limit. Unfortunately, is, unfortunately <laughs> we have to have some kind of a time limit. And I would definitely want you guys to be back some other time, some other point of time. But uh, in the interest of time, I would like to kind of, again, come back to you, Robert. Maybe you can provide any closing remarks. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, first and foremost, yeah, I mentioned it before. I'm going to mention again. Thank you so much for your, for your time, Raghu. We really appreciate mm -hmm. it. I want to thank uh, SAP as well, right? In coordination, you're working with them and doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're able to kind of you know, brand and broaden out our message and kind of uh, deploy in, in our sense uh, the target markets. And, and we think that we probably have a lot of overlap in between there. So uh, the last thing I would probably say is, uh, as we talked about before, we're living in a more connected world, not less. Right. And it's, it's you know, Hemingway once said it, gradually, then suddenly, then drastically. And it's the same thing when it, when it comes to technology. It's, it's gradual, then sudden, right? And, uh, and I, I think the more people that realize that these connections are something that are going to be a regular part of our lives, uh, the more that they'll understand that uh, MQTT, what EMQX is doing, and the support and services that SAP is doing as well uh, is kind of the backbone of how we're going to build out this, this platform. So uh, all in all, I, I do thank you for your time, and, and I, I really appreciate it. We'd love to be back. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. And over to you, uh, Josh. Uh, any closing remarks from your end? 
Um, that was great. I'll just add um, maybe just one question. You know, if, if you're still building your IoT system on HTTP, why is that? And Ooh. what difference would it make, you know, if you could have clean, cheap data from the point of origin? Since we're talking about AI, right? That's how we kicked off this conversation. And I know we've kind of gone all over. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for your, for your AI capability, what, would it make, what, what difference would it make if you had really interoperable, clean, high-quality data throughout the entire organization? I'd, I'd love to hear the results of that. <laughs> that <laughs> wow, the that answer is, to that question. That's awesome. great. Awesome. I'll keep yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you, guys, for your time. Um, and maybe look forward to get you on board some other time. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you, Raghu. Appreciate it. All right. Let us now wrap up this season three for the podcast 30. I would first like to thank our guests, Robert Payne and Josh Eastburn for taking their time and spending their time and providing some concepts around IoT and talking in detail about the IoT data infrastructure in the context of AI. I personally learned a lot in this conversation and we had some very nice conversation starting or going back into the 90s and the inception of these IoT services and so on and so forth. As always, I'll be tagging my guests on the social media channels like LinkedIn. You can directly reach out to them for any feedback or any further questions that you might have. Alternatively, you can also reach out to me and I can put you in touch with them. You can reach out to me on my social media channels like my Twitter handle Akebanda or Raghubanda on LinkedIn. You can also reach out on my email address venkata.ragu.banda at sap.com or ragu.banda at insia.edu. If you have any further questions or if you have some other interesting topics that you would like me to bring it up, please let me know. I will try to arrange them in the future sessions. As always, you could also go ahead and search the podcast sessions and these podcast topics are available on all the major podcast platforms like Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, so on and so forth. There are many other podcast sessions that are available. As I've explained earlier, today is the end of season three. So starting season four, I will be again doing AI in the context of different other topics as well. So season four, I will be starting the season four with a podcast around the topic of metaverse and how AI is helping in the context of metaverse. So this will go live sometime in the mid of November, 2022. And finally, I would also like to thank you all the audience for taking your valuable time in tuning and listening into these podcasts regularly. Please provide your feedback if there is any. If not, thank you all for your time. Happy predicting the future with AI technologies. Bye-bye now.